0: Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we pray this morning as we look at your word that you will help us to understand what it says and that you will teach us your ways, lead us into truth, that we may live as your people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of people think that God is helping them. They they thank God for helping them. They tell other people that God has helped them. But has He? Does God really help people? Is God a help? Last week, my son had a terrible fall. Uh, Feet went out from under him, landed right on his face, chipped a tooth, massive bruise on his forehead. Later on, after he'd uh, recovered somewhat, we were exploring in a creek, and uh, he put his hand on a blue-ringed octopus. Um, Highly venomous animal, kill you in minutes. At the end of the day, I thanked God for his help. I thanked God that my son was okay. I thanked God that the fall wasn't too bad and didn't leave too much permanent damage. I thanked God that the octopus didn't bite him and kill him. But don't you reckon it's a bit strange? Why am I thanking God? I mean, why did God let him fall over in the first place? Why did God let him touch the octopus in the first place? If God was helping us, why did these things happen? I mean, what's going on? How does it work? Was God not helping us by letting him fall, but then helping us by not letting him hurt himself too badly? Was God not helping us by letting him touch the octopus, but then helping us, by helping us by not letting the octopus bite him? That all seems pretty weird to me, doesn't it, to you? And it makes me ask the question, is God actually any help at all? A few years ago, people did a study. They chose, I think it was a thousand seriously ill people. They got a whole heap of Christians to pray for 500 of them, And they left the other 500 unprayed for. You know what the result was? More people died among those who were prayed for than among those who weren't. The sick people were better off not being prayed for. We pray asking God for help, but where's the evidence that he does? Have you ever asked yourself these sort of questions? Is there any point praying to God? Is there any point relying on God to do stuff? Is God any help? As you can see from the heading of Psalm 124, it's written by a bloke by the name of David. David. David was the king of Israel. He ruled Israel around about 1000 BC. And in the Bible, David's a fascinating bloke. Um, God loved David, favoured David, and God made great promises to David. When when, when David was a kid, um, God promised him that he would be king. Later on, God promised that uh, his family, someone from his family, would would have the kingship over Israel forever. A fascinating bloke, this David, a man who had great promises from God. And can you see in the heading that, that it's this David that's the author? It says there, of David. Now, in this psalm, David is saying that God has helped Israel. And he's calling on them to say it with him. And the evidence he gives is the way God rescued Israel from an impossible situation. The situation was this. Israel had been attacked. Some of their enemies got uh, got angry with them and uh, attacked them. And by rights, Israel should have been defeated. Uh, Israel's attackers were powerful, strong, irresistible, in fact. David says they were like a flood, these enemies. They were like a, a tsunami wave. There is no way that Israel could have stood against them. But Israel survived. Israel weren't swept away by their enemies. And David says there is only one possible way that that could have happened. Only one way Israel could have survived, and that is because God was on their side. It's because God was helping them. And now in this psalm, David wants Israel to say it with him, to to sing with him. He wants them to acknowledge that if God hadn't helped them, they'd have been lost. If God hadn't been on their side, they'd have been destroyed. Have a look with me. Psalm 124 and verse 1. Psalm 124 and verse 1. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, when their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept, us, swept over us. The, the raging waters would have swept us away. Yeah, vivid image, I reckon. Do you remember the pictures of the, um, the tsunami on Boxing Day a couple of years ago? Remember the, the, that video picture of the 10-metre wave coming across? It's an incredibly powerful thing, isn't it? There's nothing you can do. You're, you're sun baking on the beach and that 10-metre wave hits you you are history. You're history. You can't fight it. You can't resist it. You are doomed. Israel should have been history. The, the flood of their enemies was engulfing them. The, the raging torrent of their foes was sweeping them away. No human way they could have survived, but they did survive. They did survive, and why? Because God was helping them. Next, next David pictures Israel, Israel's enemy, as being like a big animal, like a a lion or a great white shark or something like that. Uh, They they should easily have chomped Israel to bits. They they would easily have chomped Israel to bits, except that God didn't let them. Verse 6, praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. Last Sunday night after church, I caught just the, the, the last, I don't know, half hour or something of a movie. It was a movie called Open Water. I think uh, what it was doing was telling the story of those divers who got uh, left behind by the boat uh, up, in, up on the Great Barrier Reef. Terrible story, anyway. The, the, these divers are stuck by themselves out in the middle of the ocean. There are sharks everywhere, and the divers are completely helpless. There's nothing they can do. They can't fight the sharks. They can't swim away. They are nothing but shark food, just bits of meat bobbing up and down, waiting to be eaten at leisure. Totally helpless. Israel were helpless against their enemies. As helpless as those divers out in the open water. They should have been, they should have been chomped. But Israel survived. They survived because God helped them. Next, David says, Israel were like a bird in a trap. The bird gets caught in the trap and there's nothing it can do. There is no escape. It isn't strong enough to get out of the trap. It isn't smart enough to get out of the trap. All it can do is just sit and wait until the hunter comes and eats it. It was humanly impossible for Israel to be rescued. But God was on Israel's side. God helped Israel. God broke the trap and Israel escaped. Verse 7. We have escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. And so David finishes the psalm with a statement about God. A statement that he wants Israel to say with him. Uh, On the basis of the evidence that he's given, David wants Israel to say with him that God is their helper. God, the all-powerful God, the God who made everything, the Lord he is Israel's helper. Verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You get the picture of the Psalms? It's fairly simple one, isn't it? Um, Israel in this hopeless situation, desperate situation, no way they can rescue themselves, no, no human way they can help themselves, but they are not destroyed. They, they're not destroyed for one reason alone, because God is on their side. God is helping them. And so David wants Israel to say it. He wants them to admit it, to to, to sing it with him, to praise God, to trust God with him. It's true. God is on their side. God is their helper. Now, we, we can't tell from the psalm the exact situation in David's life that he's talking about. But if you think about it, there are plenty of situations that would fit. I think of the time with Goliath. The, the, the massive giant, too big for Israel to resist, certainly too big for, for, for a little kid like David to resist. But David comes against Goliath, and have a listen to what he says. It's in 1 Samuel 17. David says, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. And I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. I remember, by the way, doing this, uh, this, uh, this um, 1 Samuel in Bible study a few years ago. Um, in our daytime Bible study, and a Scottish lady called Anna Steele read these verses. i tell you what, they are made for a Scottish accent, these verses. I'm terrible at Scottish accent, but, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Uh, sends shivers up your spine. (laughs) Anyway, there was the time with Goliath. Uh, That was an impossible situation. Uh, Later, there was the time that... um, David faced the Philistine armies soon after he became king. Again, impossible situation. Or later on there was the time he faced the Ammonites. That, that, uh, that time was like, I don't know if you saw the scene at the end of the third, uh, the third movie of the Lord of the Rings where you've got that little army totally surrounded by armies everywhere around them. That, that's what it was like for Israel against the Ammonites that particular time. Outnumbered, surrounded, no human way they should have survived. But God helped them and they won the victory. Uh, time after time, David faced impossible odds, but time after time, God helped him, and, and any one of those occasions could have been the inspiration for this psalm. Uh, God, God kept his promises to David. He, through many impossible situations, he brought him to be the king. Now, we don't know exactly what situation David was facing that, uh, that inspired this psalm, but, but we do know how the psalm came to be used. You can see it again in the heading. The Psalm of David became a song of ascent. You see that in the heading? A song of ascent. Now we've talked over the last couple of weeks about what these songs of ascents were. Um, just to remind you, they were songs sung by the Israelites as they ascended Mount Zion. As they ascended Mount Zion to, to get to the city of Jerusalem. God had made commands to Israel. He said, come to me, come to the tabernacle in Jerusalem three times a year for three festivals, Passover, Feast of Weeks, Feast of Tabernacles. And as they climbed Mount Zion three times a year, the Israelites came to use special songs, traditional songs. And this Psalm of David, it was one of the songs that they they selected to use as they climbed Mount Zion. It was used as a song of ascent. If you think about it, it's a pretty good choice. It's very suitable for Israel as they make their weary way up Mount Zion to get to Jerusalem. I mean, for many of the Israelites, Jerusalem was a long way away. A long way to travel would have taken days. would have been a big effort. And I'm sure many of them ask themselves, why bother? Why bother? Why bother to go to to all that effort to meet with God? I mean, really, what good does it do? What good does it do? Why not and you can imagine we're dealing with Jewish people here, why not stay home and work in the fields? Why not not keep the business open? Why would you come all of this way, close everything down, just because God supposedly says so? Is it worth it? What use is it? What's the value? Is God really any help that it's worth coming to him? Well, as the pilgrims sang this song, they could remember. They could remember how God helped Israel in the time of David, how God overcame impossible odds to rescue them. And they can remember what David said The Lord is on our side, our help is in the name of the Lord. Israel could use this psalm to remember and to encourage each other as they as they made that weary climb. God proved in the time of David that he's on their side, that he is their help, and so it is worth going to meet with God. It is worth praying to God. It is worth relying on God. It is worth obeying God. It's worth, it's worth climbing that mountain. Okay, an inspiring psalm for Israel, I reckon. I reckon it would have been thrilling to, to, to be singing this to each other as you climb up for the festival God can help. But you know, I don't think that this is just an inspiring psalm for Israel. I think this is an inspiring psalm for us as Christians as well. It's an inspiring psalm for us when we are tempted to think that God is no help. It's an inspiring psalm for us when we are tempted to to not bother praying, to not bother relying on God, to not bother trusting him... This psalm is for us because we've got even stronger evidence than we've got even stronger evidence than this psalm that what David says is true. We've got even stronger evidence that God can help us. The way God rescued David and Israel, that's good evidence. Good evidence. Humanly impossible that they could have been saved if the Lord was not on their side. But we have even better evidence that what David says is true. Let me let me tell you why. A thousand years after David, there was a man in his family line, a man by the name of Jesus. Jesus was a godly man. He trusted in God. He obeyed God. He prayed to God. And God made promises to Jesus. God promised Jesus that he would be the ruler of the whole world. Back in Daniel chapter 7, for example, God promised Jesus that all peoples, nations, and men of every language would bow before him. He said... That Jesus' rule as king would be an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. God made these promises and Jesus trusted him. Jesus believed him. But then Jesus faced the most impossible situation imaginable. Jesus wasn't just surrounded by enemies, Jesus didn't just face the certain threat of death like David did, Jesus faced death itself. Jesus was killed by being nailed to a cross. Jesus was buried in a tomb for two nights and a day. It seemed as if all God's promises to Jesus had come to nothing. It seems as if God is no, is no help at all. But then God did the impossible. On the third day, the tomb was empty. God raised Jesus to life again. In Jesus, can you see, God has done again The impossible. If the Lord hadn't been on Jesus' side, well, his bones would still be rotting in the grave. But the Lord was on Jesus' side. God helped Jesus and so he defeated death. And now he does reign at the right hand of God and just as God promised, the day will soon come when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The example of Jesus makes it undeniably clear. There is a God... He makes a difference. God really can help. And for those of us who trust in Jesus, well, we have God's promise to help us. Now, through Jesus, we can come to God and ask for help. And God will give it to us. I'm reading, for example, from Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 says, therefore. Since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See the point? God has demonstrated conclusively in Jesus that he can and does help. The maker of heaven and earth is willing and able to help his people. The, the, the resurrector of Jesus is willing and able to help his people. If we are relying on Jesus, if we, if we ascend to God, if we approach God through the Lord Jesus, God is on our side. God is our help. This psalm is for us. Great news, don't you think? Great news but I wonder, what does it mean? What does it mean that God is our helper? What should we expect from God, our helper? Does it mean we've now got ourselves a lackey, a slave, a gopher? Snap our fingers, God, grape in the mouth, please, and don't stop with the fanning. Of course not. This is the maker of heaven and earth we're talking about. This is our, our king, our boss, our Lord. As we saw last week so clearly, if we, want to be, if we want to be asking for God's help, then we come to him as a servant to his master, as a maid to her mistress. We don't boss God around. We don't tell him what to do. But yet by his extraordinary mercy, God has shown that he is willing to help us. So, so what does it look like? What can we expect? Well, it seems to me as we, as we come to God and ask him for help, as we, as we trust in God to give us help, there are three possible situations that we can face with uh, three possible answers to our prayers. On the one hand, there's stuff, there's stuff that we know that God does not want for us. There are situations where we know that God will not help us. Um, God has revealed his will on some things. He's told us things like, do not murder, do not steal. And so if we ask God for help on these things, we know the answer is no, or we hope the answer is no. Uh, Dear God, please help me to throttle my neighbour. God's answer, no. Dear God, please help me to rob this bank. God's answer, no. Except uh, perhaps as an expression of his judgment on us. Some situations where the answer is no. On the other hand, uh, there are some situations where we have God's express promise. Uh, Like David had the promise that he would be king. Like, Like Jesus had the promise that he would be king. If we ask God for help on these things, we know the answer is yes. God will help us. Warren prayed a prayer like that earlier on. God says, he promises, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You do it, confess your sins, ask him for forgiveness. You know the answer is yes. God will help you. He will forgive you. He's promised and he'll do it. Jesus says, I am with you always till the very end of the age. Ask him to be with you. You know the answer is yes. He's promised. He will do it. He will help. He'll be there by his Holy Spirit. Sometimes, when we seek God's help, we know the answer is no. Sometimes we know the answer is yes. But often, th- th- there are situations where we don't have a specific word from God one way or the other. Um, what's an example? Um, God, please help me to find a car parking spot. Okay, God, God is able to help. God may be willing to help. But He hasn't promised to help, has He? least not last time i read through the bible he hasn't promised to help and you're not his boss so he may or may not help what we need to do is humbly ask him like a servant to his master and then let the master do what he thinks is best trust him Well, here's another example dear god please please heal this person god is able to help god may be willing to help But God hasn't promised to help, not in this life at least. God hasn't promised to help her. There will be healing in the next life, of course, and that may well be God's answer to our prayer for healing, to take that person from this life into eternal healing. Maybe that's the reason more of the the people who got prayed for died than didn't. Maybe that was God's answer, his way of healing them. The point is, though, there's no problem asking. No problem asking. And we know that God can help. We've just got to let God be God and do what He wants. We can't expect God's help where He hasn't promised it. You see the point? Okay, well, let's come back to where we started. Was God helping my son last week as he, as he fell over, as he touched the blue-ringed octopus? Was God helping I think what I need to do is stand back and see the big picture. Stand back and see the big picture. I know that God can help. I know that God does help. He proved it in the time of David, Psalm 124. He proved it with the Lord Jesus Christ in raising him from the dead. He's promised to be with me and be my help and the help of my family. That I trust is true. If I think about it in the big picture, I know that God has more than, more than helped us. He, he gives us every second of our lives. Every moment of my son's life is a gracious gift from God to us. Every moment of my life is a gracious gift of God. And I know that more than that, he's loved us and he's given Jesus to die for us and, and, and given us e- eternal life and, and he's given us his word and he's given us his church and he's helped us in so many ways. I need to see the big picture on this. And in the light of that... Well, yeah, God let my son fall, God let him touch an octopus, and he graciously spared his life. And through it all, I need to trust God. I need to trust that he is our help. In fact, if my son had died last week, through that all, I still need to trust God. I still need to trust that he is our help. He is still the one that gave us life. He is still the one that gave us eternal life. I've got nowhere else to turn for help. Friends, through Jesus, God is our help. He's real. He's our help. So let's do what David says in Psalm 124. Let's let's trust God. Let's thank him for his help. Let's pray to him for help. Let's say with David and with Israel, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let's pray. Gracious God, and loving Heavenly Father, we're sorry for the times that we doubt you, uh, times when we make demands from you that you have not promised for us, the times when we act as if uh, you should be our slave. Thank you that you have demonstrated in Psalm 124 and above all in the Lord Jesus Christ that you are the helper of your people. We acknowledge that without your help we would have nothing, we would be nothing. And we thank you so much for the wonderful gift that you've given us of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you help us to trust in you and to live for you and to pray to you with perseverance, knowing that you are our help. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.